What's your last name, Otter? The Rocks. Sorry, how do you pronounce that? The Rocks. You know, like you have a drink on the rocks. Welcome to the show, Auto Lorox. You are a TypeScript engineer. I don't want to say TypeScript engineer because that's probably not your job title, but most TypeScript people like to say, I'm not a developer anymore, I'm an engineer. Yeah, we all want to pretend that we're very important and try and steal the engineer status from those people who have a protected title. Very much so. Because you go from being a JavaScript developer to a TypeScript engineer because now you're worth something. <laughs> yeah, I do like to think that I actually, you know, I'm one of the few people that does get to say they're a TypeScript engineer. But on my team, we, we use the term uh, compiler engineer. So I would say I work at Microsoft on the TypeScript team as a compiler engineer. So you work on the compiler specifically? Sometimes. Like the, there's a, a new release of TypeScript that's coming out uh, probably by the time people have read uh, listening to this, then um, it will be out, 4.5. I have a few sort of headline features of that that are often like building a lot of infrastructure outside of the compiler and then building a very small amount of infrastructure inside the compiler for that one feature. Because most of my skills generally tend to be about persuading a lot of people to do a single thing in a useful way. And so sometimes it just requires a tiny bit of code in the compiler to get that working. But I definitely understand the compiler pretty well from the, the two and a half years I've been doing this. Yeah, so it sounds like you're a compiler politician, is what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, just persuading everybody that's using the API that maybe this is the right way to do it, maybe. Uh, and if not, just sending them a pull request to fix it. We recently met you because you started looking into the full stack, jam stack frameworks. You dipped into Redwood, saw that there's tons of TypeScript hacks and jumps and things that could probably be done a lot better. You've started making the pull request to what I've seen. The TypeScript website is a Jamstack website. It's Gatsby, and I'm a, I'm a big fan of almost all of these systems. They all have their sort of pluses and minuses. I helped get Gatsby's TypeScript support up and running. I didn't need it for Redwood, which luckily has already, already been done. It's kind of interesting the way that it's structured. The system that it uses is actually sort of, it's like this sort of pre-compiled TypeScript that adds this extra layer above your code base. I've never really seen something like this that adds an entire type layer that sort of maps on top of existing code files. It's exactly the sort of answer you would get where you try to build the most dynamic system ahead of time with a perfect JavaScript APIs. And then you sort of, I'm not gonna use the word abuse, but that you, you mold the TypeScript support around how the JavaScript works. At heart, that's exactly what TypeScript's built to do, right? Like there's so much existing JavaScript out there and TypeScript needs to be able to map that in some way. You know, if you play with it, it feels a bit esoteric if you ever go and look at how all the pieces come together. But the fact that it actually works is to some extent, it is a celebration of how weird TypeScript can be and can allow all sorts of interesting integrations. Is it obvious that it was written by a bunch of Ruby developers? Yeah, I'm a Ruby developer. I started, you know, building Rails apps. I worked on a dependency manager for iOS in Ruby for a decade. It's a really pragmatic language, but the moment that I sort of discovered TypeScript and JavaScript, oh, at the time it was originally Flow, getting a bunch of the tooling on top of your existing like dynamic languages, I was pretty much sold on that paradigm. And I know that the Rubyists are starting to take that approach too now. I think for a lot of programming languages, the idea of a, a type layer that lives invisibly on top of the existing code is probably this nice sort of halfway point between being really flexible, like the scripting languages, or and being really strict, like, you know, you want in a large code base. 
to what I've seen of the TypeScript ecosphere recently, there's still a massive debate. Is it worth compiling TypeScript? As in, is it worth just having it in every tool and then chuck away all the types as soon as you compile, like Babel has done for a while? Or is it worth compiling it straight from TypeScript, like tools like TSDX doing that? I've always found it a really interesting middle ground because I wouldn't say TypeScript blocks certain tools from working great, but it does like to put a spanner in sometimes. <laughs> I don't disagree at all. I think there's many stages of how TypeScript has got as big as it has. One of the biggest unlocks for TypeScript to grow, because TypeScript roughly grows at double the amount of users every year, and it has done for almost a decade. It's an incredible amount of growth. The most recent big one was because TypeScript added the ability for Babel and all these other tools to be able to implement TypeScript. Prior to those changes, you needed to know the entire type system in order to accurately convert a single file into JavaScript. After that change, then Babel, ESBuild, SWC, Sucrase, all these tools started just integrating TypeScript without having to think about the type system problems. You used to have to have a TypeScript everything. So you used to use TSLint instead of ESLint. You used to use editor tools that were like, this is TypeScript support and not necessarily this is VS Code with TypeScript built into it. And nowadays you kind of can live in, with TypeScript in a JavaScript ecosystem. And yeah, there's definitely pains, but the real world thing here is like, there's no types in JavaScript. And until there is some sort of proposal that goes through the TC39 process that says, here's maybe a way in which types could be added to JavaScript safely, then you'll always have that sort of tension. That's why something like Deno is kind of nice because they'll just get rid of your types and just evaluate it automatically as though it was a native feature of the runtime. Do you think that it will ever actually get built into the language? I don't know how closely you follow TC39 and the politics of that, but I'd be curious. I'm sure there's people who want it and people who don't. So just as someone who kind of checks the wind, do you think it's ever going to blow in that direction or will it always be fought against? The way that I think it will probably end up working is that somebody that is not the TypeScript team will, will want to be in a buildless environment, right? So think about the problem uh, that we're talking with about, you know, TypeScript needs these extra tools in order to run a node, for example, or any JavaScript. And this is my biggest issue with TypeScript and why I tend to still avoid it even to this day as someone who now understands types and can handle TypeScript. The build complexity is still what makes me hesitate from using it. Yep, and I do not disagree with that at all. Like, I think it's a completely legitimate opinion, and that's in part why we put effort into the JS doc implementation of TypeScript. What people want is exactly what you've just said, which is a buildless version of JavaScript with types. One way in which that could possibly be done is if JavaScript has support for knowing what derives a type area into it. The way to sort of think about that in your head is types as comments. JavaScript engines know where a type starts and where a type ends and just ignores everything inside there in the same way that they ignore, you know, whatever's inside the comment. And so what that syntax could look like, you know, flow used to have types in comments as, as a potential route for that. But what about if that was systematically agreed upon at JavaScript level and, you know, TypeScript put some constraints on it in the same way it did for Babel support that allows JavaScript to say, hey, this space is available for putting types in and TypeScript to say, hey, if you don't put your types in this space correctly, then we're gonna fail your build. And that would probably allow types to run inside JavaScript in a way that doesn't require a type system in JavaScript. It just says, hey, if you put code in this particular area, then types can be inferred by an editor, but can be ignored by the language runtime. 
and that would sort of get you in that direction. So I've heard rumors of ideas around this from different people in different places. How it turns out, I don't know, but I think it's a very interesting approach to that problem. I would like to say when you said about Babel being included, we quickly spoke in the pre-show and you, you said that you helped gain Gatsby in TypeScript support. I remember this and that's when I actually started following you on like Twitter and that because the first time I ever used TypeScript was with Gatsby and it was a pain. I still remember it to this day. You had Gatsby hyphen plugin hyphen TypeScript and then you had Gatsby hyphen plugin hyphen TypeScript hyphen two. And everyone's like, use two, not one. Which one? <laughs> exactly. And it was like two was using awesome TS loader. One was using, I think, just a standard TypeScript compiler. It was like all of this complex stuff. And then and then we was that other thing where ESLint didn't work with TypeScript yet. So you had to have your own version. And then it was like, oh, but why because I want all the rules from ESLint? Now you're playing big games of circles. Now you're playing dangerous games there. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And I think the biggest thing that I think you will 100% agree on, small developers to medium-sized developers look at Big Corp and think, they're using TypeScript. Oh my gosh, I should jump on TypeScript today. And you forget that they're spending, you know, $300,000 a month on paying four people to just sort out the tooling in the company, you know, or more to, you know, make sure it's perfect. That leads me into my next question that I think is a really important one. What do you think of zero configuration? And do you think TypeScript will get to the point of zero configuration? Okay, so I can start with the latter one because that's easy. No, it will never. In part because that's TypeScript's goal is to not have an opinion. The way in which we sometimes talk about TypeScript tends to focus on TypeScript and Node, but there is nothing specific to TypeScript and Node in TypeScript, just as there's nothing specific to TypeScript and React in TypeScript. There's only JSX support in TypeScript, and then React is a separate thing that can be added onto it later. TypeScript could never go configless because TypeScript's backwards compatibility uh, goals are to never break a project, which means something from you know seven or eight years ago will still air quotes work, they'll just get an awful lot of compiler messages, but this project will still work exactly the same as it did before. So there'll never be a zero config. That one I can guarantee. The question of, is zero config a good idea? Yes, definitely. I like the idea of cosmic config, which is a, a dependency of projects that allows you to put config in, say, in a YAML file or in, in your package JSON or in a dot my thing dot something. Like you'll see Jest use it, for example. And I tried to see if I could get it, first of all, to have cosmic config support NPM packages as for configs. So like you could just, your zero config is actually just I just download slash author slash config. Cosmic config will know to look in that folder for configs, for Jest, for Babel, for ESLint, because they all use the same one dependency. And TypeScript could do that too, in theory. But that's hard to pull off. And I couldn't persuade the Cosmic config people to agree to that, which means that that probably won't be happening. But they might relook at that idea again at some point. As a novice to TypeScript, you obviously go, oh, I need to do TSC in it. And then you go, I have no clue what all these options mean. On, off, on, off, on, 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 done. <laughs> Leave us that, you know, like, yes, we're talking to an expert here, but, but it's like such a good question is what should I set the version to? ES next, 2020, you know, 2017. Where do I want to compile down to? These things are like, what does your project want? And it's like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, 
I tried to attack this problem last year, and I think I've done a pretty reasonable job at it, which is there's a thing called tsconfig slash bases. And for example, if you start a new Svelte project, it will create a tsconfig in your root with a link to at tsconfig slash Svelte. And that is maintained by me and the Svelte team. Whenever you know there's a new update to that, that gets applied to everybody. And it's just an NPM package that downloads the tsconfig for your individual project. So the question for you then is, okay, so you, you know you're going to have a Svelte project, so you would just use that tsconfig, for example. And we have the same for Node, for React, maybe even Demo, and a few of us. You actually have Create React app and Vite React. And yeah, you have, you have Dino in here too. So those are built to try and help you get to that point where like, you, you know, you, you just need that in theory and the, the config reference, which is like this massive mega document of hundreds of, uh, of compiler flags at the top is like, Hey, you might want to use one of these bases instead, if you know what your baselines are. And that's always the tricky bit because like TypeScript needs to run without any other stuff under the hood because it needs to be a single dependency. It's got no dependencies and it needs to be vendored with all these editor tools and the website. It has quite strong opinions about the defaults when it gets to change them, but it never gets to change them once they've been set. And it is that thing, including libs in the config. I like to think of, and this is, sounds like the worst thing ever, but you will guess your way to it, then find a tutorial, add in the settings you're missing from the tutorial into it, having no clue what changes, and then hopefully it works. Like the favorite one is it's not building. Oh, have you added this into your config? No, I done that. It built. <laughs> and it's like, I've just looked at it now and it is really active. Your next JS version only got added eight days ago, I think. Yeah. So it seems like a really good way to get it right. And I think that's what Next.js does well is that if they detect a, a TS or a TSX file, it just goes, here's a TS config. It's all your stuff. Exactly. While TypeScript can never be no code, like you just said, the tools could potentially make it no code. Yes, exactly. As in bringing that level of complexity away. As in, if you're an expert and you need to tweak it, here you go. <laughs> you don't need to tweak it, never touch it. <laughs> exactly. And like, you know, we can hide those settings away in these TS config bases. And, you know, you, you're using a next site so you just use that tsconfig section next and then the best bit here about this is that the changes that you make in your tsconfig therefore reflects this thing specific to your project right so if you follow some tutorial somewhere then the actual changes that are, that are in your project are the changes from your project to next whereas previously they were all sort of embedded in this one sort of thing and you don't know which ones are yours and which ones are the projects it's one of the hard realities of just trying to use a, a very config heavy setup that just tries to be everything for everyone one of the big things that i always wonder as Andy will know for sure is typescript much more a theory problem than an actual practical problem because i use it every day i understand the uses for it but if you asked me to quantitatively give like here's how many hours it saved me here's how many errors it's fixed i would personally find that quite hard so then it's that it's not necessarily a functional thing that's fixed it's more of a theory of uh i'm bashing my head less against javascript so i would love to hear your thoughts is if you think half the battle with typescript is more the theory of types than the actual functions of the types it's nuanced, right? Like Airbnb, when they were adopting TypeScript, they actually did audit all of their bugs for, I think, a month. 
where they then tried to state, is this something that TypeScript would have caught? And I think they said about a third of those bugs that got through were things that TypeScript could have caught, which is a pretty solid number quantitatively, if you will. I think what makes the underlying comparison a little complicated is that TypeScript is used probably regardless of whether you're using TypeScript or not, because TypeScript provides all your JavaScript tooling too. What people are usually talking about there is the incremental jump from type-assisted JavaScript to TypeScript. Which is great. Like, honestly, if you roll back from TypeScript to JavaScript and your tooling is still great, that is still TypeScript providing you all the tooling and assistance that, that you that you want and that the integration provides. Like, it's a really good show to Microsoft that, like, all these different tools just elegantly sort of go between the different levels of migration that you want. That's why TypeScript talks about migration steps. Yeah, we should talk about this, which is TypeScript is just so baked into VS Code now that a lot of people are getting typing in their JavaScript without really realizing it. So what is happening inside my browser? What is JavaScript? What is TypeScript? Where is the barrier between that? At what point am I actually using TypeScript? Is it possible for me not to use TypeScript if you're saying it's actually just baked into the editor? Until very recently, I was maintaining the flow for VS Code extension which actually had this problem of, from Flow's perspective, we are providing a different language to JavaScript in the same way that TypeScript is a different language to JavaScript. And we want to provide all the editing tools for auto-completions, for inference, and all these other things. But TypeScript actually gets in the way there because the syntax is different in, di in a few different cases. And so VS Code actually added support for turning off TypeScript in VS Code. There is a, a way that you can go into, they call them like the, the built-in extensions. So you can disable the built-in TypeScript extension. And then you truly are in a TypeScript-less world there. And it's basically, you know, like you'd open Vim, you know, you press dot, you get no autocomplete or any, any sort of thing. Just as God intended. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's great. You can disable it if it's not your thing. But realistically, pretty much nobody's going to do that. You know, TypeScript doesn't take metrics from whether people do these sort of things because including metrics in a compiler is still not something that people really do. And I think that's an okay thing to not do. I, I'm glad that, that we don't. But I think being able to turn it off was very important for Flow specifically. And now if you're in a Flow project, you can turn off TypeScript and you just have Flow there. So the question of how integrated is it into say VS Code, the TypeScript team have a person that like constantly is integrating TypeScript into VS Code on the VS Code side. Their job is basically to make sure that TypeScript rocks and JavaScript rocks, and they both use the same thing together. So for example, TypeScript, when you're in a JavaScript file, will first load up a sort of super fast version of TypeScript that just tries to do the inference in that single file. The moment that you open a big JavaScript project, you'll get autocomplete in a single place, but you won't get autocomplete across your entire project because it first loads up one, and then it loads up a second one in the background that's generating the entire project and trying to understand the full semantics of your system. And at the same time, it's also downloading uh, to a private cache, a copy of every at types slash something that relates to all of the potential dependencies in your project also. So it's first downloading all these extra things in the background so that it knows the definition shapes of all of the libraries that you're using. And then it can then start building out this sort of weak TypeScript project to represent your actual project. And then your auto-completions and tooling from that then starts being used there. This two-step approach is actually very useful now that we live in a world where VS Code.dev exists or you know the GitHub.dev where you have VS Code in a web browser where you do not have fast access to a file system and every single call to another file is a network request which could take forever and who wants to download all of somebody's node modules over a network request each time and so we have this sort of like incremental build 
approach where when you need it, it gets grabbed or we do a grab the entire world and do very accurate system checks. JavaScript's applying TypeScript's like kind of magic. I, I wasn't there when it turned on, but it was pretty wild to see. Well, when we talk about like, as we said, JavaScript tooling in TypeScript, TypeScript tooling in JavaScript, the first time I saw this, it confused me even to today because I, I don't really have the answer to it without obviously researching it is when Redwood, when they were kind of working on TypeScript support, so it wasn't full TypeScript support, they had jsconfig.json. And I looked at it and I was like, this looks like the TypeScript compiler, but this isn't TypeScript, this is JS compiler. I'm like confused. And it was because it's doing that inferring for the, the VS code. So there's me in Redwood going, I'm using TypeScript. So all my things are really imported for me. And, you know, I don't get lost easily. All them people that are saying JavaScript is, you know, it's still okay. I'm like, how are they doing all this? And it's, oh, it's because all of them features have leaked in. And if you've just used TypeScript for four years, you probably not have noticed that they've leaked over. I mean, that's the goal, like incremental migration towards TypeScript. When I talk about that, like it also seems like, you know, we're forcing people into this TypeScript world where Microsoft can then be like, hey, now everybody's using TypeScript. Let's just drop JavaScript support or something like that and do like an embrace, extend, extinguish somehow, force people to pay for the TypeScript compiler. I'm not entirely sure what that could look like. But the reality of the situation is still that like, it's very hard to, for Microsoft to be able to pull that off and especially imagine the reputation hit. But if TypeScript's goal is to get rid of TypeScript and give you the best code possible, it's like its entire goal is to get rid of itself in a safe way so that you can migrate your project away from it if you ever need it. And that process of migration is also the downwards migration from TypeScript down to JavaScript. So when and if types as comments ever arrives in the world, people will want to migrate from TypeScript files to JavaScript files. And that will be a very safe evolution because TypeScript already has all of that infrastructure inside it to help people migrate to JavaScript files. Talking about the future, I think is really interesting because back when I started, obviously it was where Gatsby was. And yeah, it was TypeScript compiler or Babel. It was like, these two things are going to compile my ES6 into ES5 and whatever. The question that I'm going to ask is, it sounds stupid, but is the TypeScript team working on future things they want in the compiler and then compile it into like today's browsers and are you like working on the tomorrow's es6 so seven whatever we call it these days uh, 2022 <laughs> yeah you know what i mean as in like the features that are coming that have gone through all these things they're kind of different features to typescript's features as in like we're bringing this future today yeah, so this is actually a really good time to talk about TypeScript's design guidelines. So when TypeScript first came out, it had pretty strong opinions about what it thought the future of JavaScript was like. Now remember, this is 10 years ago. 10 years ago, JavaScript was really stuck in a rut. It was the transition between ES3 to ES5, where there was a lot of people thought that ES4 was going to be this massive thing that had classes and types and systems and everything that you saw in ActionScript free, if you ever used that. Today, TypeScript's design guidelines are straight up, we will not implement new things that are language runtime specific. Uh-uh, no way. TC39 have to agree on it to a, such a strong extent that it is guaranteed to ship. Then only then will TypeScript introduce those language features. You know, when the question mark dot operator came into TypeScript, that was a big thing because it's it's very common in a TypeScript project to have to do a lot of faffing around, you know, undefines and nulls. But you don't have that so much in JavaScript because, you know, you don't feel that problem because your editor doesn't show you. You only find out when you 
taken production down by accident. And so that feature was requested in TypeScript for about six years. Uh, eventually, the TypeScript team took over that project in TC39 and helped push it through. And that also started to introduce this idea that TypeScript should be actively involved in the TC39 proposal system. So right now, we've got a few things like uh, regular expression improvements, as well as talking to people that are actually interested in shipping new JavaScript features and saying whether it's feasible or not for it to be typed in a useful way. Like the pipelines operator is a really good example of that. Lots of people were leaving feedback on the pipeline operator in the TypeScript repo, even though we're not influencing what the, type, the pipeline imp implementation is going to look like. But by providing the tooling for what a pipeline operator looks like and feels like, people feel like there's a very large connection between the two. Like as developers, we know, as compiler engineers, maybe I should say, we know what is going to affect the runtime of JavaScript versus types only stuff. So the introduction of a new type concept, we know will be erased and thus will be safe to be added to TypeScript because it won't affect the, the JavaScript output. But a new feature like the question mark dot operator, that could never be added to TypeScript unless it was agreed upon by JavaScript. So to some extent, like TypeScript doesn't have control over what it is actually features that it is implementing, at least especially on the expression side, on the on the runtime world. And that is totally okay. TypeScript thinks that that is so important that it is one of the top design guidelines for the language that we don't control that. A group of people control that and they are in charge of what JavaScript is. TypeScript could not realistically be what TypeScript is, which it claims to be JavaScript plus types, unless it agrees to that underlying principle. So you keep saying TypeScript wants this, TypeScript wants that. Who is TypeScript and how do they have these opinions and where are these opinions expressed? Yes, as a TypeScript team member. So TypeScript roughly is about 10 engineers nowadays. We leave our, 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 like our, our meeting notes, something like that, in the TypeScript GitHub repo so anybody can see what we're talking about and how we're trying to sort of make design decisions that, that require more than two or three of us to be discussing a particular topic. And in part, I describe it as TypeScript once in the same way as Kevin Kelly, his book is What is Technology and What Does Technology Want? The direction of technology is always an interesting discussion point, but generally I think of it as for TypeScript. The choices that we make that are influenced by the design guidelines for TypeScript influence what I say that that is what TypeScript wants as a concept. TypeScript was founded by very serious programming language people, including Anders Heilberg, who built Pascal, Turbo Pascal, I think. He built C Sharp, he built TypeScript as well as well as a bunch of people that have come from stuff like F-sharp and C-sharp in our team. And they all come with different influences. Like the vast majority of us are functional programmers, uh, realistically. So you're nerds. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised with a bunch of compiler nerds. Uh, <laughs> a lot of TypeScript introduces quite a lot of high-level functional programming concepts to people because that's the only way that you can describe types for code that already exists and not code that you are writing, right? Because we have to make these definition files that, that describe extremely complicated types, like Lodash's types, mind-blowingly hard to get your head around. They all interlink in interesting ways and they all have these, it was very complicated to implement Lodash support into the TypeScript playground, for example. But that introduces programmers to these functional concepts, even without necessarily calling them the functional programming concepts, which I think is kind of neat. Well, I've been thinking in my head that I'd just love to hear your opinion on because for someone working at, you could call it manga these days, you know, meta, is that, you know, to me, it kind of feels like, as I said earlier, like the big corps decide the path. But it's when we say the big corps decide the path, it looks like confusing because you're like, 
Facebook has put their flag down, says we're the view controller of the open source community. And then Microsoft's put their flag down going, we're the compiler of the open source community. We're the language, yeah. Yeah, we're the language. And Google has said, we're going to interpretate it all for the rest of you. Yeah. And it's like the thing, it's like, whenever someone asks me, like, what is TypeScript? I always just say, oh, it's kind of like a different form of JavaScript. Like, it's a different language to itself. But this conversation has really put me in the mind of, it's not necessarily that anymore. It's more about morphing TypeScript into JavaScript more naturally than saying, no, it's a hard cutoff of like, as in C and C++ or C and C sharp, as in like, it's a totally different thing, but it's similar. I think it's because, yeah, we heard the the common thing of, well, they both have the same co-creator, you know, C sharp TypeScript. It's just Microsoft wanting to make C sharp of the web. And we see this with like, with stick outs of like, you know, open source community saying, I only code in JavaScript. So why should I add my types for the big corp, you know? <laughs> and that brings it on to, do you think that it's all this like, open source harmony as in while every corporation yes puts their own company first majority we're seeing really good hand-holding right now and it's really moving everything further faster yeah there's a really interesting system of thinking called complexity theory that uh talks about how i like to think about the javascript ecosystem which is they call a dancing landscape which is that there are just tons and tons of like people doing interesting work that comes and goes as frameworks change as the languages evolve all these tools i love it like personally i came from working in apple ecosystem where you only use apple tools if they don't have everything that you need or want you can try and fix some of those problems but realistically apple will come and take it if they need it and they will not normally give you credit for that work either whereas in this one gatsby on my app is using react from from facebook it's using vs code and uh and typescript i know that my dependency stack is going to come from all sorts of different people with all sorts of different motives so it's like you know taking redwood as an example there's prisma in there there's apollo the people obviously working on redwood have their own opinions on how all these systems could come together it's not just a single vendor and i think that's what really makes JavaScript succeed. Even if it is starting to feel a little bit more and more like a Microsoft stack a lot of the time, like realistically, the end code that you run is never really Microsoft-y, right? Like Microsoft has no big killer frameworks for things. In fact, the closest we've got right now is like some web component stuff. You know, I'm not particularly wild on web components, so I'll let that do whatever it does. I think having an ecosystem with many people doing lots of different things is absolutely great, considering how big it is. Their estimates are that 50% of all programmers are programming in javascript slash typescript you can't really cater to that many people and that many types of projects with a single vendor to try and do so would be folly realistically everybody sort of laying claim to certain areas is great there's so much competition in almost all of the spaces typescript is probably just the arguing the place with the least competition nowadays it is very hard to make a competitor to typescript just think about like the editor tooling the compiler like maybe if you took ESLint and tried to turn that into like a full-on editor tooling space but everywhere else there's just great competition for for that sort of tooling and that's great i think it's time for the return of coffee script <laughs>
Return of Coffee Script. Yeah, Iced Coffee Script was an attempt. Coffee Script Two actually did come out in the last few years. Like it was a legitimate need, and they really set a tone that did a really good thing for the rest of the ecosystem. Even if a lot of people cry out in pain at having converted a Coffee Script to uh, JavaScript. I converted a bunch of CoffeeScript straight to TypeScript when I first started using TypeScript to really get a feel for JavaScript in general. Kind of wild, but you know, if you know Ruby, if you know his type system and you know JavaScript, how easy is that to migrate, obviously? I'd be curious to get a little bit of your perspective coming into Redwood when you approach a large open source project like that. How do you look to add value? Where do you kind of start poking around in the code base? And just how do you approach that? Because it's been really great getting your perspective and opinion on all sorts of things in Redwood. So we really appreciate that as like a very, very experienced open source maintainer. I'd be kind of curious how you think about that. This is a really interesting one. I have a history of trying to pick a dependency and call that part of my stack, see the author stack. And in doing so, I sort of lay claim to any bugs inside that that affect me are bugs I need to go fix myself. In the process of doing that, I really need to feel like I have an understanding of who are the sort of core maintainers, how do they work, what does it look like to get something approved, and what does it look like to fork and run that project myself if I need to. Sometimes it's less needed, but TypeScript is probably the best example of something where I didn't need to do any of that, but yet I still went to go work on it full-time afterwards because I saw a different problem in that area that needed full-time commitment to pull off. But, you know, for Jest or for Storybooks or for Prettier, what I did for all those projects is shipped enough PRs to get added to the core team and then redesigned their homepages and tried to handle what does their documentation look like at scale. I do that for GraphQL as well, for example. For Redwood, you know, I'd heard of Redwood having been a Rails developer in, earlier in my life. I wanted to get a sense of why did they add TypeScript support late? Because I had been following it for a while and I wasn't going to jump in until there was TypeScript support. I didn't necessarily want to have to build it myself, especially as the thing that I'm working on. I want to somewhat concentrate on the thing I'm working on, not necessarily all of the tooling for it. Normally I get paid to fix other people's bugs too. And in this case, it would be me paying for fixing my own bugs. So for Redwood, I read every single bit of documentation, went through two separate tutorial projects, tried to get a sense of, does the documentation actually match reality? Because, you know, especially pre 1.0, there's a lot of really low hanging fruit for improving documentation that doesn't match reality anymore. Once I'd gone through all the documentation, I sent a few PRs their way and then started looking at, okay, so if this is something that I'm going to adopt, I spent roughly a week trying to port an existing website over to Redwood.js to get a sense of what sort of edge cases am I hitting when I'm using this in active development? That could be something as simple as every time I press save, I see the entire Webpack output for uh, a particular file, which is generally never useful. Uh, useful maybe if it crashes. And so it's like, okay, so this is a design issue. I can file a, a bug report that says, hey, if we think about it from this direction, then here's how this abstraction can be used in this particular way. I did one like a day or two ago that was like, hey, generators are really useful in scaffolding your project and an idea very quickly. But the moment you do it once, that area, you never get to go back and use that scaffolding again. And so that idea is somewhat wasted you only get to use it once so i started thinking to myself over the course of a day like what does it look like to try and reuse those generators on projects that already have had something generated you know you change your schema and how do you give additional information that makes some sense i tried to spec those out in a level that i would expect to spec it out at typescript enough to to give enough context for somebody that might be interested in actually doing it not sure if i'm interested in doing it yet but if it annoys me enough times then yeah i'll just go and do it 
So that's kind of how I own it. Like send a bunch of PRs. It's sort of like a Britskey style approach and then get a sense of how everybody at works, figure out the people behind it. I don't necessarily need to be the one actively contributing, but being useful to the team by just being uh, somebody that uses it, somebody that understands TypeScript very well. Most places need to integrate with TypeScript to get their tooling support in some way. And so just somewhat providing useful feedback. I think I've already been in like three or four private video chats with different Redwood maintainers about like why Redwood was a good choice for me for this particular project, where I would like to see it evolve, what parts of it fit and what parts of it don't necessarily fit. And where do I see like the documentation improving things like that. It's that lot of stuff that's really hard to get once you're a, you've been working on it for a long time. I try and use a lot of my initial velocity to try and give as much of that feedback as possible before I know too much of the system to be able to like work around around those problems and not feel like it's friction anymore. It's a really hard thing when you've looked at it so many times, as in the Redwood team says, you know, we like to pride ourselves on our documentation and they sure do. But when you're trying to change the framework and add breaking things, upgrading things almost monthly, it's quite hard to then go back and remember all the reference places where that one function was used, especially with things like hooks, say you add in new props, remove props, deprecate props, keeping all that stuff up to date, moving around, it can be such a challenging problem. And we're yet to see, I think, a full solution. Maybe not for Redwood, but for, for TypeScript, we have a solution for that now. For 1.0, I'm sure they'll get closer <laughs> to it. Yeah. One of the other things I did want to quickly bring up is a tool that I believe you created called Danger. Yeah. I've seen a lot. I've heard a lot about it. I used to do a bit of React Native, so I've heard a lot about it from that. I never actually implemented it, but I would love to hear your thoughts on that because the people that I've spoken to said, it's pretty useful, and I never went past that. <laughs> I never got that. It sounds to me like you're not actually in an environment where Danger is super useful to you. Danger came from the tension of working on very large open source projects and not having an infinite amount of time. And especially, and this one is sort of key, a lot of maintainers think that every user deserves the maintainer to fix their problem. And I, on the other hand, don't. Like, if, if someone sends me and submits an issue to me and it's like a bug and it's not a bug that I would ever touch, I would ever actually hit, I'll just say, yeah, it's great. Marked it as a bug. You're welcome to fix it if you want. Now, danger comes at this problem of a similar thing, which is you get so many incoming PRs that just need a tiny little tweak. And so what danger does is it gives you a way to almost have ESLint rules for a pull request. So you take that entire change set and you say, hey, what rules can we make around what that interaction looks like that can be programmable? So think of it as a runtime for checking the PR, not checking your unit tests, not checking your integration tests, but checking the PR. And danger is available in multiple languages. It's like Rust, Kotlin, Swift, JavaScript. And the idea being that maybe it's as simple as you need to have a changelog entry on every PR. Realistically, you could have, you know, almost every danger system has had like a million GitHub actions being built to recreate every single one of these little bits. But danger just provides a runtime, it provides no rules. And that was part of my golden concept here was that like, I am not going to tell you what your culture looks like. You know, we had an iOS project where every time somebody edited a single particular file, you had to go and edit uh, a Google document. So I've been living in Microsoft for so long that I don't know what the Google version of Word is. Uh, a Google document, which was how all the analytics. This Google document was given to the analytics team that saves where all the analytics that come through. And so we just made it that if you make a PR and it edits this file, 
then you have to tick a box in GitHub, I have updated the Google Doc. And so it adds a bit of friction to that flow, but in doing that, you've guaranteed that it has been done and maybe not by a human, right? Because a human always has to be the one like, oh, did you add chain tests to this change? Or, oh, did you add a change against you to this thing? And like, as a human, first of all, that kind of sucks because you have to keep remembering it on every single PR and you eventually become the hey, you're the changelog guy. And hopefully everyone remembers that. But realistically, if you can offset that to a bot that you as a team has agreed that this is what we do, then by having Danger do that, then it becomes a neutral thing, right? It's, it doesn't change the relationship between me and you because I keep telling you to add a changelog entry. But we agreed that we do changelog entries. Thus, we added the air quotes linter for that at the PR level. And that's what Danger sort of fixes. When you're doing big types, like big JavaScript, any project, you really need some way to just tell people ahead of time the sort of cultural rules without them having to read this massive contributing guidelines. Well, the places that I saw Danger originally was like, here's all the tools you need to be a productive dev. That medium article should be called, here's how to bash yourself over the head with a rock. <laughs> and get no work done. You've implemented all these tools to help you and great, but now they're stopping you doing your work. Yeah, did you get anything done? Yeah. You know, spend all the time on tooling and no time on actually fixing the problem. But that's the thing. If you have a team of like 20 people, then it becomes worth adding that link. <laughs> it's super useful. Exactly. Have you got any more questions, Anthony? Oh, plenty. <laughs> but this has been good so far. Like, I have so much respect for people who put as much time and effort into open source as you do Orta. Thanks, man. We were so happy to see you pop up into the Redwood community and, and to start helping out. And, you know, we have said many times that we're not really TypeScript experts. So even having just a TypeScript expert at all is great. But then having one who really gets open source especially has been awesome. So just thanks for hanging out and contributing in the ways you have. I'm sure it'll be great to just have you around and have you as a sort of knowledge to tap so really appreciate all the stuff you do honored i would say my final question what's your opinion of microsoft trying to kind of take over react native i don't see it as kind of at all i think microsoft do a really good job of sitting alongside react native it's like expo in some ways you know, i spent a lot of time with the react native team because that was also one of the projects that i took as a dependency and took very seriously i redesigned their homepage, for example and implemented their CocoaPod support with Red. React Native wants, <laughs> see, I always use want. React Native wants to be a lot like how React wants to be, which is they want to be this small integration tool that just sort of adds this virtual DOM thing on top of an existing problem. That's why React DOM is different from React. That's why React VR is different from React. That's why React Native is different from React. But by doing that, they only try and attack a small, small problem. But in reality, the things that they actually need to attack are often much bigger, right? Like there's a lot of debate recently from the, the creative view that was like, React pretends to be a library, but if a library influences everything that you do, then it's not a library anymore. It is a framework. And I think that is a, quite a, an accurate way to think about it. React Native tries to not do everything. If you've been using React Native for a long time, you'll know maybe two or three years ago, they started to deprecate a lot of APIs that were inside React Native and move them out into community-owned projects. And in part, that was due to the vision of React Native being tightened to be able to support larger projects inside Facebook, but also to allow projects like Expo to take over the responsibilities 
of handling things like what does a React Native project look like with notifications? How do we handle web views? How do we handle navigation? The project React Native wants to be small and wants to only focus on Android and iOS. But the reality of the situation is everybody else wants to do a lot more. You have Microsoft saying, hey, what would it look like if you could make a React Native app that would run everywhere? Because guess what? Microsoft have React Native inside Office. And guess where Office runs? Everywhere. So the question there is like, hey, hey, do we get Facebook to be like, okay, we'll make Windows be a default target inside React Native. And like, realistically, that's a big sell. And that didn't happen. Canonical added Ubuntu support for React Native at one point. React Native tries to do this small focused thing that only focuses on trying to provide React primitives to mobile things, but everyone else is doing so much more around it. And so you have this sort of trifecta of Microsoft providing all these extra platforms. You have Facebook trying to provide this small like view library, if you will. And then you have Expo being like, okay, so what do you need to actually make an app next to that? The three of them together make a very interesting set of platforms. But if you think of like, it's competing with something like Flutter, which is a single vendor providing huge amounts of marketing and engineering just with a single vision, then you end up in a very similar sort of perspective as I talked about earlier, which is like JavaScript is a dancing landscape. React Native is a dancing landscape, but Flutter is not a dancing landscape because it's a single vision. It's a single person, single, like this is how it all works. And it works across many different platforms. And you just have to make a trade-off. Like, do you want to go a bit faster at the trade-off of living entirely in a Google world? That sometimes is a good trade-off. Or do you want to be like Office integrating React Native into literally everything? And the only way you can do that is by integrating across many different stacks using many different tooling baselines. So yeah, I'd say it's complicated. <laughs> I completely agree. I like to put the tinfoil hat on and say, within the next five years, you won't be using React anymore. You'll be using React Native on the web, on everything. Just React Native, everything. And it just builds to everything. And everyone can just be quiet now because JavaScript just took over everything. You start seeing like that meme with the pins and the wire. Charlie, yeah. We're going to get to the point where I will write code once and it will compile on everything. Uh, well, compile, but will it be good? <laughs> I've obviously looked at React Native. I actually started with React Native, not React. It was this thing where I've never actually touched React Native web. Well, sorry, I touched React Native web and I thought, this is interesting. This is legs, you know, but it's not quite yet there yet. No. And then I look at like React Native for Windows plus Mac OS, it's like, what is that naming? Because <laughs> it's not just Windows, it's like Xbox now as well, isn't it? It's like, just run it anywhere. Anywhere the office could run. Exactly. I honestly think within the next five years, there needs to be a Thanos gauntlet moment of like, now nah, this is it. This one React component will now run on every platform you could imagine. We're not quite there yet, but I think the tooling's heading in that direction. The idea that the core of React lives inside React Native is something that they have debated internally. I'm not sure if that has won out now, given the that React is still so web-focused. I don't see that. I can't see a single platform ever succeeding across everything. Flutter is the best case for this. It's a single vendor. It goes across all of this stuff. But that, that traps you. <laughs> the idea of all of these different things is not a trap. Microsoft supporting Windows is an official API for the platform. It is like on Microsoft docs.microsoft.com. It is not like the Apple version, which is like, hey, Microsoft are providing one of the main APIs for people to migrate React Native apps. Apple are just like, no, you just take your iPhone app and you put it on your M1 Mac. Everybody is all trying to compete for developers in very different ways. 
And I don't think Facebook will ever want to expand bigger than mobile, even though they support Messenger on Windows, which is a React Native Windows and Mac app, but it is still not owned by them. It's a really interesting landscape because, as I said, will it be the future? Will it not be? It's currently like, you know, if you want to put some Star Wars, you know, you have your inner worlds and your outer worlds of like, you know, your outer worlds of React is like Windows apps and web apps using React Native and your inner worlds are like just React. It's a really interesting time. It's going to be exciting to see where it goes. I've really enjoyed having you on to talk about these things. My final question would be, what would be your absolute favorite open source project? Because as you've said in this episode, you've worked on a lot. Ooh, it can't be any of mine because that's like choosing between your children. Don't want to do that. Honestly, it's such a tough one. Although maybe I would actually choose CocoaPods. It is one of the most mundane problems to build a dependency manager. But a dependency manager, it is the tentpole of an ecosystem. The better your dependency manager, the better the rest of your ecosystem ends up being. Like the JavaScript ecosystem was pretty trashy before Yarn came out. And I was lucky to arrive just like six months before Yarn came in and cleaned up a lot of the JavaScript ecosystem. CocoaPods always was good. And I'm sure like everybody feels tension about it because CocoaPods has the same problem as TypeScript, which is that it tries to do everything for everyone. And especially it has no control over the underlying iOS infrastructure because Apple change it every year. But CocoaPods always tried to do the best job of being an open source first making sure everybody understood the code that they were integrating. We built really clever systems to help you understand the dependencies that you were using in ways that no other language have really tried to, to integrate. And because it was a smaller ecosystem, we could get away with a lot of heavier rules on, on validation and systems like that. And so I'll still take CocoaPods, even though I don't actively work on it so much anymore. CocoaPods, I remember CocoaPods from my React Native days as like the more complicated way of integrating extra packages, but it was the way that always worked because Link was a bit interesting. Yeah, Link was complicated. It genuinely took me and the CocoaPods offer uh, Alloy like 10 minutes sitting down with the React Native team to come up with Autolink and then like two hours to ship it. And then that became the entire foundation for all of the, the improvements that fixed using Link. Ruby, you could just get away with all sorts of crazy stuff with Ruby. You can't do that with other programming. Well, you could do it with JavaScript, I guess, but you can't do it with other programming. <laughs> just... And you got a nice Twitter handle. It is just Orta. So if anyone wants to find you, they can find you there. O-R-T-A. Is there anywhere else on the internet you'd want to direct people? No, just use Orta for everything. So that search term, I, I have to compete with a lake in Italy, and uh, we follow each other, me and the lake, and I generally tend to beat them. Have you ever been to the lake though? I tried. I went to a conference in Italy and it was like four hours away and I just didn't have eight hours to get there and back. Maybe next time. Yeah. Some JavaScript conference in Italy. Let me know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And... Ooh,